Hello, and welcome to episode 170 of Game Store Profits, where we talk about God, gaming, and groups. I'm your guest host, T.R. Knight, and with me in my fellowship are the halfling-hearted Jeff Romo and the dwarven courageous Daniel Fisher. Oh, man, I love it. That's just that intro and that music oh, man. together. God, uh, so I feel like I'm at sick home from school and I'm 12 years old and watching watching that on what is it used to come on WGN growing up. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Was, Out of Chicago. Yeah. yeah we used yeah. to cuz that plus the Lord of the Rings used to pop on there all the time. Yeah. See, I I'd, I'd watch it on what was it in Houston? It was uh, 20 Vision. It was called I don't know what it was, it was like your kind of knockoff channel that wasn't one of the main ones. They just call it 20 Vision. Yeah, man, I'd hear that song coming on over the beginning of the the music. Oh. It's funny is and to look at and to watch it now, it's nostalgic, but it's also kind of psychedelic. Yeah. It is, dude. The the way yeah. those people move, well, is trippy. You, the the thing, the way they filmed that. Okay, they literally had actors. Okay, and then they painted over the cells. Right, and that's how they did it. My dad pointed that out every time we watched it. And for, for those who don't know what the heck we're talking about and don't really understand why the heck we had that song at the beginning, that is from the Rankin-Bass version of The Hobbit. And, of course, there was a Rankin-Bass version of The uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, if you want to look that up, we'll check the show notes and we'll give you a link to the... Actually, the whole album is on YouTube. You can listen to the whole thing. It's so good. But in any case, hey... It, we're... We're really reaching into the nostalgia grab bag here, and I think we're doing it with a purpose, with a purpose, kids, uh, yes. because we're looking, I'm looking right over at TR's camera right now, and while we don't have the benefit of visual uh, formatting for our uh, Game Store uh, Profits uh, uh, fans, I am looking at the camera at TR, and I'm looking in his background, and I am seeing a Hobbit game, and I think that's a good archive dive topic. Well, you know... The guys talk about archive dives, and I kind of laugh when their archive dives are less than like 10 years old. So <laughs> since I'm bringing the wisdom to this podcast, the, oh, here we go. the archive dive for me is a game called The Hobbit Adventure Board Game. It's from 1994-95, I think. It's, um, it's like an early hobby game. It's not just a roll and move. It actually has gathering of treasure and hobbits running around and riddling each other instead of combating each other, which is fascinating. You're actually having to challenge each other with riddles. And eventually you have to defeat a dragon and win the battle. And the reason this is important to me, multiple things. One, The Hobbit is like my all-time favorite book and has a lot of um, importance, and we'll talk about that later. But as a board game, it's actually one of the early strategic games I played with my daughters. For those of you who don't know, I have uh-huh. twin daughters who are not small now. They're 18 and in college. So, But that game was so much fun, and they were always like, oh, let's play The Hobbit, Dad. Hey, Dad, let's play The Hobbit. They loved that game, even when they couldn't beat me for the longest time, <laughs> because it was more than just a normal game. It was not just roll the dice, move, roll the dice, pick something up. It was actually doing a story and where am I going and who am I challenging? And I've got to go over to this scary place over here to try to defeat somebody. And Oh, man, now I want this game, man. Well, it sounds like a perfect family game. Yeah, for and it's, yeah. Not, it's not a modern game. It's got some flaws, but at a nostalgic level, plus it was made by Iron Crown Enterprises. And if you know anything about Iron Crown Enterprises, they're also the people who made Middle Earth role-playing. 
So it kind of gives you an idea of the the heritage Mops. of this board game. So that's my archive die. But the interesting thing is, so you take that early '90s, and now today you've got quite a few games out. There's War of the Ring, the new Hunt for the Ring, which I really want to try. But what I'm fascinated about now that's kind of an archive dive meets today is Fantasy Flight has announced they're taking the Lord of the Rings LCG, the old card game, and converting it to a digital card game. This is this two episodes in a row we've gotten given Fantasy Flight some love. Yep. But it just fascinates me that they would take an old LCG out of print, but was very popular when it was out, and re-release it. And it's getting talked about a lot on the social networks. I saw some screenshots. It looks pretty pretty good i'm curious to see how they charge for it and monetize it like with it being an lcg are you gonna be able to buy packs is it gonna be done like ascension or thunderstone or you know how are they gonna build this as a product so to me that's interesting to see as an archive dive as an old game and then see an old game being rebirthed as a new digital game i do like the idea of it though i mean to be able to have it on the go that sort of thing i do enjoy my having a lot of board games loaded on my tablet Especially if I have to travel for work, because I just sit there in the plane and play Ticket to Ride and things like that. Yeah, that makes it makes it uh, makes it fun. The, the the song was on purpose. I mean, come on. Yeah, we're 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 pretty transparent. Yeah, we're here nerds. Store profits. We're nerds. Yeah. Well, is there think there's a theme going on already? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, we're only what six minutes or six minutes into this thing, and we're we're already. Coming I mean, up I'm only munching on a little Limbus bread here while I drink a pint. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it comes in pints. <laughs> <laughs> you you gotta realize this is TR's second um, show with us. We're already using show notes. We have a theme. Oh my gosh, Mike's gonna fire all of us here in the next week <laughs> or so. We're done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so I bring your little, you know, organization. A little professionalism and a little insanity. That's okay. As a as a consummate game master, I love it. I I completely enjoy it. It's improv with order. There you go. Yeah, improv with order. So, Tolkien. Tolkien. Right, yes. That's. Let's just flat out. We'll name it. Um, we are we're going with a bit of a Tolkien theme today. When it's his birthday, and January third was Tolkien's birthday. Yes. It's amazing how far reaching this work is. This body of work, we can call it that because there's so many books, peripheral books, influenced books, fans who have written books, fans who have written reference material. You know, the gaming culture in general has such a, a, a there's such a huge footprint when it comes to Tolkien. It, it's it's an easy topic to kind of reach into and, and draw forth. But I thought in the interest of organization, let's uh, let's have like three areas that we want to talk about when it comes to Tolkien. I think the first one and the best one in my head is our childhood and how, you know, how we were first exposed to, to Tolkien and how it, did it change us as people? Did it change us as, you know, imaginatarians? What do you guys think? I think the first time I ever watched that cartoon, I was probably under 10. I, I read the, you know, they got me into the concept of like, oh, this is a book. So when I you know, was able to get my hands on it, I was probably about 14 and read it. I just thought it was the best thing ever. Then I, I read The Fellowship and then I was like, got to the next one. I'm like, this is boring because I, I couldn't comprehend battles in my head like that. And uh, a lot of people tell me that that's boring. But I think that actually influenced me in what Dungeons and Dragons modules I played. Because, see, at this point, my mom was obsessed with King Arthur. Okay, 
She thought King Arthur was the greatest thing. She loved the story. She loved that stinking movie. It was made during the 80s with the big metal plate from Merlin. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about. You know I'm talking about. Okay. Excalibur. Yeah, Excalibur. That's it. I have it on DVD. It, it's a good movie. But the... Careful, Careful. <laughs> Yeah, don't watch it. Um, but, you know, I fell in love with Token. And, you know, and I think that's what kind of pulled me to more of the Forgotten Realms versus Dragonlance. Yeah. Is it? Do you think it's? Is it because of the depth? I think it's the magic and okay. and more of the things because you know Dragonlance wasn't very magic heavy compared to Forgotten Realms. Right. You know, I was pulled into more of that because I was like, wow, I can, I, you know, my first D and D character was a halfling thief. <laughs> because Hobbit is trademarked. So yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I go on for days about that one too. But that, but yeah, I think that that influenced me more the high fantasy stuff versus the low fantasy. Yeah. So I enjoy high fantasy. Same for me. I was in about fifth grade, so I was about 10, probably 10 or 11. It was the middle school librarian. I remember it vividly. I'm an avid reader, so I was the one that would go to the library in town and take as many books as they'd let me take, the max. But they were always smaller books. You know, I mean, I, I read a few chapter books and stuff like that. But I remember going in and getting, like, I'm bored. These books aren't challenging me. I need something better. Give me something, you know, hard. Give me something challenging. And I vividly remember being handed the library version of The Hobbit. So it was that really hardback book the libraries used to have. And they had repasted the covers on the side of it. <laughs> and I remember this because I got handed this book. You know, it's a probably like a four-inch book, but it was like an inch and a half thick. Right. And, I, and they said, go take this home and tell me what you think. So I took that home. I don't remember thinking of anything else for weeks. I honestly don't remember if school happened. I don't remember if I skipped school all I remember is I fell in love with that book. It changed yeah. my view of fantasy literature. I mean, I instantly just had to keep reading. I started reading other things. I mean, I started reading Isaac Asimov. I started reading um, Doc E.E. E. Smith. The Hobbit was my start on more epic reading and taking off in fantasy science fiction. So I have this soft spot for it in that, that it started it. But what got me is, I don't know why, but... It set that tone for me, for everything. I mean, I actually read The Hobbit before I read C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. I actually yeah. got to The Hobbit first. I came to Narnia later in life. And so for me, the epitome of fantasy, the epitome of fantastical or fairy literature, as Tolkien calls it, fairy stories, is The Hobbit. So a lot of people like The Lord of the Rings better. They like the movie better. But to me, it's The Hobbit. And I think that's the same reason dwarves yeah. are now my favorite race. So my first characters were dwarves as I got into role playing. When it comes to movies, when it comes to books, when it comes to influences, that started it. But part of what I want to talk about, it started my childhood, but it has affected my whole life. I've got over 50 Tolkien-related, Middle-earth related books. I've traveled to England and made sure I got to Oxford. And I sat in the Eagle and Child and toasted the Inklings. Um, with a friend of mine. Nice. I've been there. Nice. That's so good. Yeah. That's a deep cut. That is a deep cut. That's a yeah. deep cut, man. That's good stuff. <laughs> I'm so passionate about it. I've become this kind of hobbyist expert in the area. I've done panels. I've put it our library in town and at the Taylor University Library of Work and a huge display of Tolkien things, so games, movies, books. That one book, just reading The Hobbit, turned into a lifelong passion for literature, but also understanding the Inklings, understanding Tolkien and what he meant, 
and his faith and the other people who are members of what's called the Inkling. So to me, one book is still affecting me today, 38 years, no, 37 years later. You know, with me, though, when on that, it does affect me. And one of the things I told my daughter before she started DMing, I said, you need to read this book. This is this book right here will change the way you understand fantasy. And, and she just, you know, she didn't like it. I, it broke my heart. Yeah. I said, you're not my daughter anymore. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't do right that. There. But, yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, and it depends on and how you how you get it introduced. I mean, like for you know, I was just raised by my mom. I didn't have my dad in the picture, and my mom was definitely not a science fiction fan. She was a Motown fan, so hence my 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 bent of music. When I was in Cub Scouts, the uh, the, the 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 troop leader there had a copy of The Hobbit, and we would you know at the end of rough and tumble carving, exploring whatever. We would have some time where we would get together and we would either, it'd be the time when we were roasting marshmallows in their big backyard or we were, you know, grilling some hamburgers or something like that. Or, you know, we killed a cow and put it out there. We're from Texas. You know, that's just what we do. And he would start reading The Hobbit to us. So once every couple of weeks, he, we would get a chapter of The Hobbit. And that was my first exposure to that stuff. At the time I was, gosh, was I eight? I feel like a crappy Cub Scout leader right now. Thanks, Jeff. Quiet, you. I think I was like, this is also the same Cub Scout leader that watched me climb a tree and then fall and land on my back and said, well, y'all should have not done that. <laughs> so It's great. I done told you not to. Um, but that would be a great campfire book. See, now I'm fascinated by the idea of reading that as a chapter book around a campfire. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it totally works. It totally works, too. Oh, man. And, and, the, and so, so, yeah, so that was kind of my first exposure. Up until that point, I was reading, you know, choose-your-own-adventure books oh, and comic books. Let's and not get like off that. on choose-your-own-adventure really ex- <laughs> I wasn't exposed to it, yeah. I wasn't exposed to literature at all. It, it, it was two things that happened in this, and this is what made it unique and made it stick in my head. Number one, the, the beautiful language of Tolkien, okay? In a society like we are right now, in the past 50-some-odd years, the English language is just, how, many, how much of the words do we not use, and we use different words for the same thing, and blah, blah, blah. You know, we, just, we don't know how to speak English anymore. And so hearing those beautiful words, sentence structures, and then the inflections. He gave it life, right? He gave each of the characters a specific voice. I mean, again, this is probably my first experience with somebody who was probably a game master. I'd be willing to bet if I went back there and asked him, did you do game mastering back then? Probably. I bet he would say yes. But he gave them voices. He gave the, the, the text meaning. And it just stuck with me. And ever since then, you know, I, I wanted to read The Lord of the Rings. And so I ended up reading that. And I've read it as I've gotten older, just because I experience more and more of it, because I have different perspective. I have a better, <laughs> larger grasp on the English language, dare I say. And it, it, it's just, it's become a, a wonderful influence on my childhood. And one, some of the best memories I had involved the, either the book or it involved the Rankin Bass cartoons or. Yeah, and for me, Gosh, those cartoons. And for me, recently, like I try to read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by every year or two. I mean, I actually do reread That's it. Good. That's but good. for my children, I introduced it through to them through the audiobooks. So yeah. I have okay. The Hobbit audiobook and The Lord of the Rings. And so as we traveled, that was one of the early major books I shared with them was being able to listen to The Hobbit being read yeah. as we drove by, by a professional. Yeah. And so it was so wonderful to be able to talk to my daughters as they were growing up. And even they love those stories now. And so that's fun. Yeah. If, if you ride to Gen Con with me, you have to listen to Lord of the Rings on the way up. 
every year. Nice. I like so. it. <laughs> and for that drive for you, you'd probably get through most of the first. Yeah, well, I listen so. to the radio, uh, the the BBC radio broadcast. Oh, nice. Yeah, they're great. And nice. uh, I mean, because I love um, radio dramas. That's yeah. Yeah, the old school sci fi. After I was introduced to that, a little bit after that, I was introduced to Robert Heinlein. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. that's where my science fiction, I, I love science fiction from the 40s to the 60s. Mm-hmm. That stuff was great. And and I just started the uh, Philip Dick's uh, stuff on Amazon with the, uh, it's a new show they're doing on Amazon Prime. It's pretty cool. I, I posted the show <laughs> no, notes. I know. Yeah, the, yeah. well, careful with that. That has, they has, yeah. I actually shut it off. It had some interesting parts. Anyway, that's me. That's me. But yeah, and, and but Tolkien actually, um, influence my music in high school as well if um if y'all didn't know me very well i'm a leadhead led zeppelin i i didn't dig it i love led zeppelin i love the doors but led zeppelin i fell in love with them because of the fact that half their songs were about the hobbit and lord of the rings (laughs) and i was like right there misty mountain hop oh that's great oh it's awesome there's actually uh, a subgenre of middle earth metal yeah i believe it Kind of like there's Viking metal. There's also Middle Earth metal. I think you sent me a link on that before. I'd look it up now. It thoroughly. Well, okay. So Daniel, you kind of started this. We've kind of talked about our childhoods, but mm-hmm. you talked about how it affected your gaming. So yeah. this is kind of a, a good transition here. We talked about this, and this is a gaming podcast. It all affected us as we read. We got into fantasy. Mm-hmm. We love Tolkien. But I'm positive all three of us are going to say how it affected our gaming because. Just knowing how he wrote the stories, his characterization, what is a fantasy world, right there starts cascading and causing this, you know, avalanche of board game, role-playing, storytelling. So, Daniel, we're just going to go let you kind of continue the story you started. All right. Well, first of all, for me, as playing a character, I've never played an evil character. Period. I never have either. Except as a GM. Yeah, as a GM. Yeah, but, but as as... Me being a character, I'm supposed to be the hero. Even if it is just the hero in my mind, you know, I've, I, I'm still the hero. The furthest I've ever gotten was probably chaotic neutral to the evil side. But as a DM, when I'm playing a fantasy game, I really don't want my player characters to play evil characters. I want them to be the heroes. I want them to fight the evil that I throw at them and just to make their world a better place. And it really bothers me when somebody pulls out an evil character to the point where I'll eventually kill that character. And, and just warning you, if you ever play with me and you play an evil character, your character will eventually die or get everybody sucked into Ravenloft. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Classic. And that's when they're like, can we stop now? I don't want to play in Ravenloft. I'm like, okay, roll the characters. Well, and like you talked about, that's one thing. I don't allow people to play evil in my campaigns either, but I have dealt with corruption. I have mm-hmm. dealt with, you know, being tempted. Like I've even had a player once play a son of a necromancer. So he grew up as a necromancer's apprentice. And it was that idea of where was his background? What was his skills? And I think, and we'll talk about this more in some other stuff because I'm sure someone here is going to gush a lot, but <laughs> some of the newer middle earth, role-playing specific games so they're actually made to role-play in middle earth so not influenced by they even have the rule sets for that so how do you deal with the shadow how do you deal with becoming corrupted and that's fascinating to have a mechanic but for me like you when i've got into role-playing 
no matter what it was, whether it was D&D, whether it was Rollmaster, or even playing some of the early um, Middle-earth games, I've always loved that aspect of playing the hero because no matter how dire it gets, no matter how hard it gets in Tolkien's books, the heroes somehow push through, even through corruption, yeah. even through temptation. I mean, you look at, for those you know, spoilers, <laughs> if you've not read the books and <laughs> watched the movies, spoiler alert, spoiler alert <laughs> Boromir and Faramir are two of my favorite characters from the books. So if you read the Lord of the Rings series, so The Hobbit, still my favorite book, but it is much more for children. It has a a lighter story. The movies adjust that, but the book is lighter. But in Lord of the Rings, the story of the brothers of Boromir and Faramir and the temptations they go through and everything are probably some of the most deep storyline in the books, which in some ways made me sad that the Faramir story in the movies wasn't as in-depth. But I think if you want to really look at character development, if you're a story writer, if you write fantasy novels, if you're a game master, if you're a player of role-playing games, reading these books and seeing character developments, like you were saying, Jeff, language, how well these characters are developed, they're not one-dimensional. They're extremely fleshed out and have these stories and how they interact. And I think that's part of what pulled me into the books, and I still love so much, and how it affects my gaming is that character-centric, story-centric, not just action. It is way more about why is it there, the context, the purpose. And the the cool thing with with that kind of focus is you see the change in character, right? Any, in my opinion, any good novel, any good movie, any good series is gonna take a character and that person is gonna be different from the beginning, or at the end than they were at the beginning. Yes. Unless the entire purpose of it was to show a full circle transition. But, I mean, even even Frodo mentions it at the end of The Lord of the Rings, how things are just not the same. You know, they're back in the Shire, they're back at the, at the Green Dragon, and things are just not the same. How can you go back to the way things were when you've traveled so far? A bit through what they went through. Exactly. And, and it's, such, it's such an amazing component of of the books and of of the media that is Tolkien, there's change. And there's there's change that's spurred on by environment. There's change that's spurred on by culture. There's change that's spurred on by, by individuals. And I think that the beauty with which he he shows that change and how it affects people is just flabbergasting to me. And and I know there's lots of authors out there who have done it and maybe even some who have done it better. But for me, my money is on Tolkien when it comes to how it how he does it. Just it's just it's a beautiful tapestry. And for me, when it when it when it how it's infected my gaming, I say infected or impacted. I suppose it's so similar in my head. But how it's entered into my gaming life is the concept of the group, right? The concept of the A team, the concept of I, I don't know Silverhawks, the concept the fellowship. Of, the fellowship, exactly, right? The idea that you have somebody who's in tune with nature, somebody who is a leader, somebody who's gruff and, and needs to be strong in that brave center, uh, somebody who's who's quick of thought and, and needs to be light on their feet or, or quick, of, uh, quick of dexterity or whatever, and having different perspectives that come together to form that fellowship. And it's, it's all over. Right. Whenever you're, you're you're starting a game, a role playing game, you're looking for that group. Right? Yeah. I know. I know. I went back and I, I did a D and D thing where we did all bards, 
right? Yep. Where we were all playing bards, but each one had a different talent. They each played a different instrument. They each had a dip, you know, one was really strong and one was, you know, really brave and another one was kind of a conniver. So you still have the diversity of that group and how it comes together and it makes something truly magnificent and truly beautiful. And the group together is stronger than the individual. And I, that's one of the big lessons that came from Tolkien with me, especially being such a, uh, I was such an introvert and I was an only child. I didn't have a lot of friends, but when I found friends, instantly fellowship fell into my my heart you know that filled my heart so that was a that it's it's definitely impacted all of my gaming when it comes to that because it, it comes to how the players knit together so i look at that not just as what characters they're playing but also as as people you know how are they coming together yeah i think how it's influenced me the most i mean i'll do one shots and i'll do quick games but when i do mm. a campaign one of the things i've always loved about middle earth and I feel the difference in other novels I read is the depth that's behind the books and below the books yeah. that's there that these little snippets will show up, you know, some random character, some random event that happened, you know, millennia ago. And for me, when I do campaigns, so like I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm working on Spelljammer 5e. When I do any kind right. of long-term campaign now, I can't help but work on my mythology the background. So where Tolkien had his Cimmerillion, he had all of his notes, he wrote this whole other epic background that's not in the main novels, but you feel it. There's history, there's there's a basis, a core, that foundation that's below his book, so it never feels shallow. You always feel that everything in character has a reason. And so for me, when I build an NPC, even though it may be random, now some of them are random, but if I build one, I often have a whole background to them, even if they're going to show up for five minutes. And it may just be quick notes on a piece of paper, but I just have this feeling I love for my world to have character beyond the fellowship. So I'll have actions going on. My villains will be doing things in my head. There's a story going on. Sometimes I make notes. So the next time they bump into that person, it's not like, Okay, you adventured with them four months ago. You bump up again to them again, and they're exactly the way they were when you left them. You know, there's this whole history, and I love that, and I think it changed the way I view storytelling. Storytelling to me is not just the words in front of you. It's the words behind the words, and that matters to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's almost like, you know, Token was writing this stuff because he knew we were going to build RPGs based on <laughs> and speaking of RPGs based on them, there's a lot. There's man, there's a lot out there. I mean, from the beginnings of D and D all the way through to you know what Cubicle Seven's doing. It's gosh, there's so yeah. much influence out there when it comes to games. Well, you know, the, talking about Dungeons and Dragons, first of all, it was during Tolkien's heyday. It was that's when it came out. From what I understand, I think The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings was one of the most pirated books back in the 60s and 70s on college mm -hmm. campuses. And Arneson, I don't know how he grabbed his copy, but we don't know how that affected them as well. We just know it was very popular at the time. I've looked in the history a little bit of it as well, and we do know that they, that Gygax was afraid of lawsuits, and that that's why halflings are not hobbits. Ents are treants. <laughs> um. Yes, but he he was very though afterward in the bar. Yeah, I know you're. Yeah, the Balrog became the Balor demon. Yeah, and so like. But after he made all those changes, he was 
very defensive of that. And if anybody started saying, this is like Lord of the Rings, he would cut them off. Because he did not want anybody to get that idea because he did not want to get sued. Well, and it's it's interesting too because of kind of a side tangent just a quick. The whole reason we have dwarves instead of dwarfs and elves instead of elves is part of Tolkien was he was a linguist. So there's lots of words, lots of change in vocabulary that he created for his books. But they've now become standard in our games, in our fantasy, we just accept the word dwarves now. We accept elves. Yeah. Um, we accept so many things. The idea of orcs, which actually came out of a Germanic legend, because if you know Tolkien, if you study him, even Tolkien is based on early Germanic and English fairy legends. I mean, all the stuff he made in his books, he was bringing in old legends. And he, like Icelandic was his big thing. He was very big into Icelandic sagas if you do any of the study of him. So even Tolkien was taking basic stories and rebuilding them into his new mythos. It's interesting to see how that's influenced our games that, you know, we can't think of traditional high fantasy now without thinking of dwarves, elves, hobbits, magic, uh, rangers. You know, we all have this view, a ranger, it's Aragorn, a hobbit, it's a, it's a yeah. you know, halfling. I mean, just our visualization, if we have a history in fantasy literature instantly goes back to that i mean even the idea elves like if you like me and you grew up in the 80s you saw legend legend with a movie with tom cruise the elf in there is tiny yeah it's this short elf because it's based on oh, yeah. english mythology it's it's an irish english mythology short mm-hmm. elves dwar or elves in tolkien's world were tall and so if you look at D elves you're gonna get that idea that high elves wood elves are the high elves and wood elves of tolkien and so it's interesting to see the influences have become standards. So it's kind of like when we talk about games, you know, like Dominion was the first right. deck builder, but now there's deck building. Tolkien was one of the first high fantasies, true high fantasies, but it's now become the standard for what is high fantasy. And so it's hard to say. It's kind of, I, I think of it like um, like a blues progression in rock, you know, the, the EAB chord is pretty much standard in, in any rock game, any rock, I almost said rock game, any rock song. Uh, we'll have that standard blues progression. And yeah, you have the elves, the dwarves, the orcs. So in the show notes, we're going to list a bunch of games that are out there. But I want to talk about a few of them. And I know Jeff does too. But I want to give a little history to build us into it. Early role-playing for Middle-Earth, you were playing D&D. And if you wanted to do a, your own version of Middle-Earth, you took D&D and you remade it. Or maybe you did Palladium. But later a game, as we talked about earlier, came out called Merp. Middle Earth role-playing. It was based on the role master system. And it was unique. It was fun. But one of the big complaints about it, and it's why it's been interesting to see this transition, it still allowed spellcasters. Right. You know, you could play a mage. You could play a Gandalf, even though Gandalf was really the only spellcaster in the main books, and then Saruman the White. And so what you dealt with was Merp kind of took an early system and laid Middle Earth on top of a role-playing game. It was fascinating. I loved playing it. Then you had the Lord of the Rings role-playing game based on the movies, and it tried to come out, and it didn't do well. But that transition over the years, so you started with that. Then Cubicle 7 said, we're going to go back to the books, not the movies. We're going to go back to what Tolkien meant, the artwork that inspired him. We're going to look at all those inspirations and actually make a game that feels like Middle Earth. And that's where right. the One Ring came from. 
And I don't know about you, Jeff, but this game <laughs> is it. It has the emotions of reading the book is the best way for me to put it. Yeah. You feel Middle Earth even just looking at the books. No, absolutely. And and it's gosh, it is so I mean, we, we've said it on this show before, uh, or at least I know I have that the the writers there at cubicle seven when they when they got hold of this material and they started working with it it's it it's the emotion like you said they love the material right and they bring that writing forward into the game in, in such a in such a way that I, I'm, i've been setting up a uh, a game to play in the uh the adventures of middle earth it's it's where they took the rules the core rules from D 5e the srd yeah. And then they've woven in the one ring rules when it comes to things like the shadow or the journey phase, all this other stuff. Yeah, I want to pause you there for a moment. This is what fascinates me. So we go quick pause. We started with D&D that was influenced by Middle Earth. Right. We have now come right. full circle to now you can play Middle Earth <laughs> in D&D. And that, right. to me, being a guy who has been here for that whole transition, fascinates me from the... We're not D&D. No, you can't. We're not Middle Earth. No, D&D is not Tolkien's work. D&D is not Middle Earth. Advanced Dungeons right. & Dragons has nothing to do with Middle Earth. Two, Cubicle 7 has released Adventures in Middle Earth for Dungeons & Dragons 5e. Full circle. UK-based yes. Cubicle 7. Full circle. <laughs> it's like Reese's Pieces in RPG. Man. It's, it's really good. You got your D&D in my Middle Earth. You got your Middle Earth in my D&D. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, the writing. I can't, I can't say so like so like here's here's a line here's a line from the Lord of the Rings okay just just to kind of like they went on for perhaps another couple of miles then the sun gleamed out of ragged clouds again and the rain lessened you know just ragged clouds right just the idea of ragged clouds it was now past midday and they felt it was high time for lunch they halted under an elm tree its leaves though fast turning yellow were still thick and the ground at its feet was fairly dry and sheltered basic language right but woven together to emote i mean and and i didn't even grab anything that was you know exceptionally you know evocative if i grab the material from our friends at cubicle seven for every member of the wise and the great for every wizard or ranger of the north there are countless more like samwise gamgee simple people who never cross the boundaries of their own village or town or individuals like gimli son of gloin who in ignored the existence of rohan until it visited until he visited it or men like noble Faramir, who while learned in who, who while learned in many lores, never encountered an elf or a hobbit before the War of the Ring. So it's just, I mean, come on. I mean, the the way they write these things shows that love for the source material, shows that love for Tolkien, and it and it just says, you know what? Yeah, this was influenced by Tolkien, so we're going to put it in Tolkien. Well, and it's not just that. Um... John Hodson, who was the art director, and now he's, I think, the lead developer at Cubicle 7. Mm -hmm. Yep. I have a couple books that are the artwork of Tolkien. If you know, he did a lot of his own paintings. So the early cover, yeah. Yeah. some of the earlier stuff. If you look at his early watercolors, and then you look at artwork by John Hodson, what John did is he looked at Tolkien's artwork, and he looked at Icelandic and other artwork, and he merged it into a new ver But you can feel Tolkien in the artwork. <laughs> You can feel yep. that billowy, shadowy, ragged cloud view yep. of kind of early artwork from Iceland and Scandinavian stuff. And it is amazing because not only now are you reading words that fit, the artwork feels like it came from Tolkien. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, it, you're, it, it's it's beautiful. I have to I have to tell you my favorite, my most favorite piece of artwork is from The Hobbit, and it's the original cover with the mountains and the dragon yeah. in the background. Yep. Yeah. If you look at my DM screen that I made about two years ago, okay, I made it out of wood, plywood, not the greatest, but I filled it in, sanded it down, and the main part of the screen is like this wide and this tall. He's holding but, his arms about uh, shoulder wide. Sorry, uh, sorry about it's, a, it's about a foot and a half wide <laughs> by about by ten inches tall. But I I hand painted that whole scene on that um, that main part of the screen. I'll try to get a picture of it and we can post that in the show notes. But yeah, because that's my favorite. I love that. That was always been my favorite piece of token artwork, mm-hmm. and it just speaks so much to me when I look at those pictures and be like. It's time for a fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These words they're they're powerful. And when the words have have power and meaning, it just it translates through time, it translates across hearts and it that's where you get those influences, right? The influences that last. For sure. For sure. What kind of what kind of thing can we do with the turn here? Well, as we uh as we talk about this. I think we need to listen to some of what Tolkien had to say. So I'm going to pull out a book here. It's called The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. And if you're really into Middle Earth and you want to know a little more about it, you want to know a little more about Tolkien, it's fascinating to read the letters he wrote back to his son and to fans of the books. So I'm going to read one here that's kind of fascinating. This is a letter that he wrote. It was written to Father Robert Murray. And he says... The Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision. That is why I have not put in, or have cut out, practically all references to anything like religion, to cults, or practices in the imaginary world. For the religious element is absorbed into the story and the symbolism. However, that is very clumsily put and sounds more self-important than I feel. For as a matter of fact, I have consciously planned very little and should chiefly be grateful for having been brought up since I was eight in a faith that has nourished me and taught me all the little that I know. Those words to me state so much about who I am and about who I game Mm -hmm. and how Tolkien has influenced me. Because the books aren't overtly Christian. You know, if you know anything about uh, Chronicles of Narnia, it's an allegory. It's a very obvious story. Very obvious. What Tolkien is stating here, and if you read more about the letter and you read some commentary on the letters, it's the books are infused with who he was, what he was living in his life, what he believed in. And I think the same thing about our games and our lives. Like Dan, you were saying, you don't allow evil characters. You don't play evil characters yourself. I'm sure we all run very heroic, noble campaigns. Even when we're doing cyberpunk, even when we're doing something that's a noir or dark, But the idea is, subconsciously, we infuse our gaming with our faith. And I love how he stated that. It's not like he's trying to rewrite the Bible, right? Yeah. You know, he's not trying to do that. He's not trying to, right before the show, we were talking about how sometimes we try to Christianize games. You know, we come out with Christian versions of games. And it's been a topic on this show before. And how it just kind of goes wrong. Mm, Bible Trivial Pursuit. Love it exactly hey that i I love bible trivia pursuit by the way (laughs) i really do i have a copy of the bad example okay bad example but here's the thing though is that it's 
it's in Tolkien being himself, right? Yes. Being that con- that conscious humility that he put out there. He's a very learned man. He had his way with words. He had his stubbornness. He had all of these different things that go on with him. But at the core of that, I always read in my in my head, I always read that he was very humble when it came to some of his work. And in the fact that, you know, look, I'm not trying to write the Bible here, like you said. I'm trying to create a world that shows the influences on my heart from a very early age. And it's it's the way we've we've taken his work, the work of Tolkien, and also is the way we take the the work of the Lord in, in the Bible and how we, we write that upon our hearts. And we have that influence the way we live. And like you said, you know, no evil characters or even in the times of darkness, we, we strive to have that noble pursuit be the thing that shines out. Yep. Well, and, and it's, like, it's in all of our gaming and even how we act. How are we inclusive? Mm-hmm. How do we treat other people that are in our game? Many of you know I'm a freelancer in the game industry. So I work with people of all walks of life, all races, all nationalities, all sexuality, different faiths. And I'm walking with them. I work alongside them. And I don't overtly yell my Christianity at them. And my Twitter is not full of proselytizing. And, but I live my faith. My faith, as this puts in here, my religious element is absorbed into the story and symbolism. And I love that idea. My faith is absorbed into me. So when I game, when I do freelancing, when I'm at Gen Con working at a booth with an upset customer. Um, when you're writing your Space Jammer game. You know, when I'm doing Spell Jammer. Um, I messed up there. When, when I'm saying Star Trek instead of Star Wars. When, there it is. Yeah, Yay. there it is. <laughs> Tolkien said that so well. It's everything we do. And especially in our gaming, you know, some of us own, do game nights for our church. Some of us do role playing. Some of us do things with inroads in other ways. You guys, that's the whole ministry of inroads and where it's going. The idea right. of infusing your faith into it, but it doesn't have to be conscious and overt. You can have it in your life. You can live it out. You can express it in your writing. You can express it in your gaming. You can express it in how you deal with people. One of the one of the lines that leaps out at me. I wish I'd had it marked here in the Return of the King at the in the end when they're, you know, they're at the Black Gates, uh, Gimli, and it, it's even in the films. Uh, you know, Gimli looks up at Legolas and says, "I never imagined I would die next to an elf." Expressing that kind of worldly separation that supposedly we're supposed to have with other people if you're a non-believer or whatever, but the elf looks back and says, and Legolas says, "How about dying next to a friend?" And you know, and that's the way we. That's the way we should be expressing it. Like you said, being alongside people of all walks of life, doesn't matter. I love you. That's what we're taught to do. But there's another letter here I want to read because it's just another line, just a short line from another thing from Tolkien because we're talking about Tolkien. Let's hear it in his words. So it may be said that the chief purpose of life for any of us is to increase according to our capacity, our knowledge of God by all the means we have and to be moved by it by praise and thanks. Nice. I like that a lot. So Tolkien... Major motion pictures, popular games, board games, role-playing games, really funny old animations. (laughs) (laughs) The best animations. And all of them infused with his faith. I tried to look through uh, the translator systems out there. And there are uh, quite a few out there that translate to the different languages. You mentioned that Tolkien is a linguist. I did find... An interesting translation from the lexicon of the internet promised to be a uh, accurate 
translation. So I thought in celebration of our episode here, we would go ahead and close with a little bit of Elvish, or as Tolkien would say, Elfish. Aute na igametura, ananuma mata suta itise, lante a kakamre tayala no. In other words, God is a game master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.